0: Revelation chapter 20, and then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and he locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have put, who are, who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us and we look forward to thinking about it a little bit more in just a few moments.
1: Well, you might like to turn with me to Revelation 20. We're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit tonight, but it might be useful to at least uh, open there for a beginning. Uh, There's a great little book that gives us an overview of this topic. It's called, How Will the World End?, I hope to have a copy to wave in front of you, but it's in the front passenger seat of my car. So, uh, uh, But it is, it's is—it's red, so you can imagine myself reason, re, 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 waving a little red book. It's by a guy called Jeremy Rinney, and it's only three or four pounds, a uh, good book company, and uh, uh, pretty helpful. It doesn't actually come down on one particular interpretation, but gives you a good overview of some of the options. Now, here's a question for us just as we begin, uh, and that is that without turning over the page, how does the Bible end? Do you know how the Bible ends? What are its last words? Well, you might want to turn over and uh, we just look at those last couple of verses of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Be with God's people. Amen. So, there's a promise. Jesus promises that He's coming soon. There's a prayer, come Lord Jesus, and there's provision. There you go, there's a little sermon, Uh, and there's provision. The grace of Jesus is with His people. So, there, just right at the very, very end of the Bible, there's a really important sort of uh, biblical theme. Christians are people who are sustained by the the grace of Jesus, as they wait for and pray for, come Lord Jesus, as they wait for and pray for the return of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the, the the fact of, the expectation of the return of Lord Jesus is to mark and shape our Christian journey. It's the same whenever you think of it, of that story of how a Jesus leaves the disciples in Acts chapter 1. He, he commissions them to be witnesses, you remember, and then he ascends into heaven. The disciples are sort of left standing, looking into the sky, and two angels appear, and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And the implications are, of course, that the, the disciples are to get on with their task of being witnesses, conscious of the fact of jesus eventual return, so jesus return is all through the the New Testament more than two hundred and fifty clear references to it, and it 's true even in the, the thinking of the church after the scriptures. Think of the apostles Creed. you know that wonderful statement of Christian truth with an incredible economy of words, and with all the things that could say about Jesus, part of what it says is he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus' return is a key Christian teaching. And and we're going to think a little bit more about application towards the end of our time tonight, but a, a quick question for us, does it function that way in your life and in mine? I suspect that we do not give it the emphasis in our lives and the space in our thinking that it has in the Scripture. So it's great to be able to look at this key tr- Christian teaching this evening uh, as we sort of round off our little foundations series. And as we do that, we're going to see that it's one of those areas in which Christians disagree, a- and we want to sort of gently indicate where we are as a church amongst those varied views. Really, the Westminster standards don't nail us down particularly to one view, but that there is one view that has been particularly common and dominant uh, within sort of our tradition. So, some simple things to say uh, this evening. First of all, as you can see on the screen there, Jesus will return. I I remember as a a young person reading a book about our solar system. I was a helpless nerd. And uh, and I read in this book about our solar system how uh, the expectation would be that in so many million years, uh, the sun would begin to run out of batteries, what is it? Helium, hydrogen, hydrogen, and and, and would uh, expand massively, uh, destroying the earth as it expanded before it burnt out and uh, compacted again and became a dead cold star. And and armed with my newfound knowledge, I confidently asked my cousin, a girl called Jenny, confidently asked my cousin, Jenny, do you know how the world's going to end? Because I do. And And she said, Of course, Jesus is coming back. And I had to park all of my useful knowledge about the expanding sun. She was absolutely right, of course. My astronomical predictions were absolutely irrelevant. The world will not end with a burnt-out sun or an asteroid strike or an alien invasion or a global nuclear catastrophe or a zombie apocalypse, as some of you delight to watch. We, We will not bring it to an end at all. Jesus will. At some point, Jesus will come back. So, history is linear. It's moving from one point to another. We are on a journey from creation to new creation. It's easy for us to think that everything is permanent, that it will always be here and solid. But actually, there will come a point where the Lord calls time on his creation, and he will do that when Jesus returns. And that return will be dramatic. So, actually, we're going to jump back a little bit. You might want to look this up, or you might want to just listen to it. It's a few verses from Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, Jesus speaking Himself. Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the distress of those days, Jesus says, "'The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light,' The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, few initial comments to make there about Jesus' second coming. This is what this is talking about. First of all, <clears throat> it's so very, very different from his first. That's something that we need to, to, to really just uh, underline. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so few knew about it. If you had been a shepherd in the next valley, you might never have heard about Jesus coming. Some shepherds saw it, some wise men, but his arrival was quiet. It was easily missed. But this is not how it will be with his second coming. It it will be impossible not to know. The very cosmos will be affected by the the darkening of the sun and the moon and the falling of the stars, whatever that means. And Jesus will appear in the sky in the same way that he left. You remember the angel said as the disciples watched his ascension, the same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And yet somehow, somehow all people on earth will see Him. doesn't matter if you're in the next valley or not. In Matthew 24, verse 27, it describes His coming light like lightning. You know, you know how it is with, with sheet lightning. You sort of, it may start over there, but even if you're looking over there, you're going to see it. It's a really useful image. doesn't really help us exactly understand how that's going to happen but everyone will see him for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so it will be with the coming of the son of man so this will be a global experience no one will miss it because he will come with power and great glory and the peoples of the earth the nations or the tribes will see him and mourn for the very one that he the very one who has been rejected by them who they've decided to live their lives independently of, who, over whom they have scoffed, He will have arrived. And not only will people see Him, but they will hear. They will hear a trumpet call. That trumpet call will accompany the arrival of the angels to gather in His people from every corner of the earth. So Christ's return will be global, public, inescapable, terrible now, now we, we 'll we'll make some as I say some further applications, but but let 's just think about this as we as we run through it as we we don 't want to sort of just fill our minds full of facts tonight. we want to think about what this is going to do to our lives. If we knew that this was going to happen tomorrow or even next week, wouldn't your life be different and one of the reasons that the bible tells us about this is so that we might live our day-to-day lives in the light of his coming. Luther said, Martin Luther said, that we should preach and live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. How would your life look if those things were true? Jesus will return. Second thing, the world will end when Jesus returns. Now, so far what we have said is pretty much held by all Bible-believing Christians. But in, in saying that the world will end when Jesus returns, we're beginning to enter into some of the areas in which Christians disagree. And in particular, there is a debate over what is called the millennium. Millennium, the, from the Latin word for thousand. And we read of the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. It refers to this thousand-year reign of Christ. And the question is, this is really the only place that it occurs in Revelation 20, but the question is, does Christ come before or after this thousand-year period. So, what does John see? Well, if you've got Revelation 20 there, verses 1 to 6 in broad terms, we see that he sees an angel. Let me just say before we jump into this, we are jumping into one of the most complex parts of the Bible. We looked at Revelation together a couple of years ago, and it was perhaps much easier to understand what it was saying, after we'd been in it a while, and we understood that so much of the language is figurative, and there were pictures, and the numbers stood for things, and so on. But but here we are. We see that in this picture, an angel comes from heaven, seizes Satan, chains him, casts him into the abyss. He's held there for a thousand years. He's no longer able to deceive the nations, and then. We see that the souls of the martyrs who come to life at the resurrection they reign with Christ for the same period. So this thousand-year period is a period when when Satan is bound and Christians reign. Now, what does all of this mean? Well, as I said, Christians have disagreed and debated over this for for a long, long time, and there are sort of three main views, sort of four, but uh, we're going to try and briefly. Uh, describe them and and let me say I'm I'm not particularly perturbed about presenting what I think is right but I am a little bit perturbed about pretending what some other people might think is right and I don't really want to misrepresent their views and if you feel I have I'm sorry Uh, they're going to get truer as they go on how about that okay so we're we're, we're, uh, and if you think oh this is my view right at the start really really sorry but (coughs) stick with me I do remember, (laughs) this is a completely different uh, topic, but uh, I do remember being a lecture one time, a a great lecturer was uh, talking, he he was a great teacher of the Reformed faith, and and, uh, the students were there in front of him, and he said, now, uh, it was a first-year class, they'd just all arrived, and came from all sorts of different backgrounds, and he said, now, I realize that not all of you are Reformed, but he said, you will be in heaven, and and therefore, (laughs) and therefore, you... Stick with it because you'll 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 get closer as you go on. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> so premillennialism—that's the first one. Pre, premillennialism, and and the, the the pre bit is to say that Jesus returns before the millennium. So what happens according to this view? Christ returns with heavenly saints. Remember in Revelation, there are beasts. There's a beast from the land and a beast from the sea. They sort of stand, if you remember back a couple of years ago, they stand for uh, political power and false ideology. So all that's sort of true and against, or all that's untrue and against God. Uh, and uh, they, they, uh, the, the political ideology and, and, and falseness is destroyed. Satan's removed from the earth. He's bound in the abyss. Uh, those Christians who have died are resurrected to reign with Christ over the world And that reign lasts for a thousand years. So pre means that Jesus comes and sets up a kingdom here on the earth. And at the end of that thousand-year period, Satan is released from the abyss, leads a rebellion against Christ. There's a sort of a second fall almost. And at the last moment, God intervenes, Satan's thrown into the lake of fire then the, all the dead are resurrected and the final judgment takes place now here's a diagram that sort of uh, uh, indicates that again there are loads and loads of variations in these views so uh, this is what we might call a uh, historical premillennialism so the the cross on the left hand side of the diagram is the first coming of christ uh, it, go, it goes into eternity on the right hand side there, uh, Jesus comes with a little lightning bolt in the, in the middle, the second coming, the, the period of the tribulation we didn't mention, but a particularly difficult period for the church on the earth. Christ comes at the end of that and, and then ushers in this thousand-year reign, and then there's the last judgment. But, but the key thing is that Jesus comes before, pre the millennium, and, <clears throat> and he, he reigns with a, a sort of a, a pretty physical kingdom here uh, on the earth. Now there's a variation of that view that's pretty common, called dispensational premillennialism. You're not going to remember all of these things, but uh, dispensational premillennialism, and and that is again lots of variations on that. But but what happens is that that Christ comes and takes the church, and so if you've ever read or or watched. Um, nicholas cage in that film what do you call it left behind or whatever it is uh, and and you're you're getting a transatlantic flight and your christian happened your, your pilot happens to be a christian it's a disaster because uh, he disappears and, and uh, or if you know it's a bus or something and you're, you, you so you well you're a christian so so hopefully uh, you'll be okay you'll be away as well but but the, the, the idea is that 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 the christians get get sort of taken away and there's almost two comings and then the second coming, the second second coming, Jesus comes back with the church and ushers in this thousand-year reign, and then there's the, the last judgment. Now, now Now these views have become particularly popular among some, some Baptist circles, some Pentecostal circles, some independent circles. They have an emphasis, particularly on on prophecy, on the role of Israel, on the politics of the Middle East. Somebody came in this morning, this evening, and said, "Well, you're going to tell us about the Russians," and, and uh, I'm not going to tell you about the Russians. Uh, but but if if you were particularly keen on. On dispensational premillennialism, the sorts of things that are happening in the world—you remember things like Saddam Hussein and, and the role of Hitler and the Antichrist and so on—all of these things sort of give you indications about where we are in this timeline. I'm not saying that those things are not important; they are. But, but uh, there is a, a, a way of reading the Bible that says. What is it about contemporary politics and geopolitics and Middle Eastern politics especially that we see reflected in the Scriptures? Okay, and that's why you get some of those emphases. So that's premillennialism. Okay, then we move to, to one of the second main uh, areas, which is post-millennialism, okay? So post its such a hard word to say, post-millennialism, uh, Christ returns post-after the millennium. And what happens is that as history goes on, the church makes increased inroads into this fallen world. The church, the spreading of the gospel, overcomes the two beasts, political power and false ideology. And there follows a wonderful spreading of the gospel over all of the earth, and and peace and prosperity largely reign. Not everybody's a Christian, but lots of people are Christians in this vision. Satan is bound by the triumph of the gospel. His influence is almost gone in the world. It's sort of almost sort of heaven on earth. And uh, that a thousand years may be a symbolic thousand years or a literal thousand years in this thinking. And at the end of that, at the end of this great progressive period, Jesus comes and everything's wrapped up. Now, that uh, sometimes uh, just before the end, there is uh, Satan allowed to reemerge for one last big fight against God and so on. But there are, are a number of different uh, views about that. That, that. that view is less common today, but interestingly, it was much more common about a couple of hundred years ago in the time of the great expansion of empire and along with that of missionary movements. Because there was tremendous optimism, you might know if you know your history, there was tremendous optimism that, 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 that the gospel was going to all the, wor- the world, and, and, and new tribes were being reached, and new peoples were coming under the reign of Christ, uh, and there was a sense in which they were saying, this is getting so good. And, and, and as people read the Bible, those experiences inevitably sort of shaped their approach and said, this is what this millennium means. Gospel is spreading across all the world. And at the end of this, Christ will come. And then, of course, we get into the uh, 20th century. We've got two world wars. And lots of uh, that optimism uh, disappeared. So there's the the diagram that uh, indicates this. The millennium as a golden age before the return of Christ. Well, some people see this third view, or maybe fourth view, a millennium, a millennium. Thousand-year thing, um, as as a, as a variation of, of post-millennialism, and uh, and what this says is that we are in this millennium. It is it is symbolic, and, and both the and this is the approach we took as we looked through the book of Revelation. Both the 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 triumph of the gospel and the, <clears throat> the attack on the church, these things go side by side right through history, right from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. In many ways, this is a more simple view. It has been the, the dominant view of the church. That doesn't always make a view right, but, but it should be then, I think, taken seriously. It's been, it's been the dominant view of most of the church throughout uh, the ages. In this time between the two comings of Christ, the beasts oppress the church, political power and false ideology. But at the same time, Satan is bound. Satan is bound at the cross. And there are hints, I think, in the Scriptures that that's exactly what happens. He once deceived the nations, largely. Witness was restricted to people of God and Israel. But, but then as Christ dies, the, the, the gospel is in a sense propelled out across the world, and, and the disciples sent to all corners of the world to preach the gospel that all nations might hear. And, and at the same time, glorified saints reign with Christ now. We know that that will happen as we go to be with the Lord. We reign. Some people think that coming towards the end of this time, and, and we did suggest this as we looked at Revelation, that There would be a time of of difficulty, particular difficulty for the church when Satan might have more power and, and there would be great oppression for a short period, time of the rise of the Antichrist and so on. But Christ will then return and destroy all that is against him. The dead will be raised and all will be judged. And unbelievers will finally be punished and a new heavens and a new earth ushered in. So you see the diagram. The, the millennium is what we are in now, this age both of triumph of the gospel but also of oppression of the church. <clears throat> now, that, now that's the view that's, that's most common in Presbyterian circles. It does seem to me to, to make best sense of the text. And it, it, it's, it's really saying that there's no gap between the coming of Christ and the last judgment. And the institute institution of the new heavens and the new earth. In other words, when Christ comes back, that's it. Everything happens, and the end comes. So, so those are the the ways in which uh, Christian people have understood what lies ahead of us. As we said, uh, in so many of these issues, there are great and godly people who take different positions on these things, uh, and uh, uh, we, we, we want to hold these lightly, but just being transparent where we are uh, as a church. Okay, the next question. Why has this not happened yet? Why is there a delay? Why, don't you sometimes wonder why, why, when God looks at the world, sometimes when we look at the world, we think, goodness, wh- what is this world here, this sin-sick world? What is it still here for? Why, why are we still here in all that is going on? Why has this not happened? Because we're living in this time between the first and the second comings of Jesus. And we're encouraged to pray at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if you ever pray that. You do pray that whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. That's part of what that means. But but our expectation is to, to long for the coming of the Lord. And we we look forward to that. Naturally, we look forward to that, because that will be the time that there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Now, why has that not happened? Well, two Peter chapter three tells us that. Two Peter chapter three verse eight. Again, you might want to look it up. You might want to listen. Two Peter three verse eight. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Maybe a little hint there that those thousand years period are not to be taken uh, literally. Uh, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So you see, Peter's talking about the second coming of the Lord, day of the Lord coming like a thief. And in the middle, he explains the delay. The delay is because of the Lord's patience. And as the Lord delays His coming, what is happening? The gospel is spreading, God's people are growing, the church is being gathered. I- indeed, it looks like the, the very thing that needs to happen for the Lord to return, if we could put it like that, is the spread of the gospel to the nations. Now, Here's one to, to maybe look up together, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Matthew 24, verse 14. Give you my page number, if that helps. It's the Pew Bible, Matthew 24, uh, verse 14, is page 993. You see a big chapter there on the signs of the uh, end of the age, Jesus speaking, Matthew 24, verse 14, page 993. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, and then the end will come. So, it seems that Jesus is saying there that what needs to happen before He comes back is that the, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. Now, there's a dispute about that. We don't know what constitutes a nation. We don't know what a, He means when He's thinking of the whole world. Is it uh, to every people group, for example? But it looks like he's saying that this must happen before the end comes. And and Christians debate whether that has already happened or or how close we are to that. But but the spread of the gospel is clearly why the end has not come. And and Jesus will not return, therefore, until until after the last of his people is gathered in why has jesus not come what is god waiting for he's waiting for the gospel to be preached and his people to be gathered so that if you like when the trumpet sounds and the angels go out into the four corners of the world to gather in the elect not one is missing last thing and we're going to finish how should we live how should we live now, friends, we, we, we really should wrestle with what the Bible says about the future. We, we do need to remember, however, that in most cases, when the Bible talks about Jesus' return, it does it for a purpose. It, it does it with a so that. It does it with a, and so here's how you should live, attached to it. And, and, and very often, That's so that is so that we would be ready. That's what it can really be summed up as. We cannot know the time of Jesus' return. That's maybe something that we need to say. Jesus himself, in the limitations of his humanity, did not know the time of his return. Say that the Father knew that. And the Bible tells us that no one knows the day or the hour. But knowing the day or the hour is not important, and, and that's why I think so much of what happens in sort of popular literature and saying, Oh, this is that and and, 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 and it must be near. That, that that's not really where the Bible points us to. It points us particularly that we might live in the the light of the fact that He is coming, that we are to be prepared, that, that we are to live lives that are ready. Last reference to look up. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Again, a passage entitled in the uh, NIV here, uh, Signs of the Ends of the Age. It's page 1057. Luke 21 from verse 34. Uh, End of the chapter. Jesus speaking, be careful. Page 1057, Luke 21, verse 34. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation. Sort of really a word for carnality, uh, immorality. Dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Really important little passage, isn't it? Jesus is really clear. He says, it would be so easy to go through this life weighed down. Sometimes we feel weighed down, don't we? What does Jesus say we can be weighed down by? Well, the world can suck us into its way of living so that we end up living sinfully, in dissipation and drunkenness, as it says here. So we can be weighed down like that because we've just sucked up the world's values. Or we can be weighed down, interestingly, with anxiety about the world. That's p- possibly more common for some of us, that, 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 that this sense of, of, of just the, the, the worry of what it means to live in this world, the anxiousness of what it means to to live in this world would would cause us just to to be weighed down and to think only of this world and to forget that Jesus is coming. I, I recognize myself in that. And Jesus says, now, it would be possible to be like that. But either way, whether we're weighed down by immorality or weighed down by anxiousness, that means our, our our view is just down here on the ground, on, at our feet, just in front of us. But our, our eyes are to be set on the coming horizon with an eye to the arrival of the Lord Jesus. Be always on the watch. Be ready. Don't get caught out. And you remember that Jesus told lots of parables with this sort of theme. Remember, thief breaks into your house unexpectedly. Or a master goes away and leaves servants to do a job and then returns unexpectedly. Or bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom, and their oil has run out and so on. They're not ready. And the message is, you don't know when he's coming. So live your life ready that if the trumpet sounds, if the lightning flashes across the skies, you're ready. What does that mean? We've got to be ready to meet him. And and do you know what that means? It means we've got to meet him before we meet him. We've got to meet him before he arrives. Let me tell you, uh, 16... I had made a profession when I was primary school child. Wandered away from the Lord during my high school years. And yet always sort of knew that it was there and, and worried about it. I remember in an RE class, I'm not sure if this would happen in an RE class now, but in an RE class then, I, we, we were looking at the question of the Lord's return. I remember asking the RE teacher... Because I was, I was worried. I thought, if the Lord returns, I'm not ready. And, and, and I said to her, I said, do you think that if the Lord returns, there's a chance to change sides when he comes back? And she said, yeah, I, I think there probably is. And I thought, great, that'll be fine. But you know what? I don't see anything in Scripture that hints at that. That when Christ comes back, the lines are settled, the sides are are determined. And so, before we meet Him, we need to meet Him. We need to come to Him as our Savior before He comes to be our judge. But even as Christians, we've got to be ready too, haven't we? Because that's the thrust of the parables. To these disciples, be prayerful. Be holy. Be about his mission. That's the the hint of the angels to the disciples who are looking into the sky. The same Jesus will return the same way that you've seen him go. Basically saying, what are you waiting for? Get about this business of being witnesses. Get on with what he's asked you to do. And then hold lightly to this world. Oh, one more reference. 1 Corinthians 7. Just I'll read this one. You don't need to look it up. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. This is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as, as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For, Paul says, God says, for this world in its present form is passing away. I want to say, went on a geography field trip to the Holderness Coast. don't know if you've ever been on a geography field trip. They take you to the most uninspiring parts of the country. And the Holderness Coast is northeast of England, and it's a long stretch. It's known as the Fossil Coast at points, and a long stretch of, of uh, high, soft soil cliffs. Of course, the North Sea just beats on those cliffs, and they, they, they get eaten away and they collapse. And, and it's part of that part of the coastline where you see houses tipping over the side and onto the beach below. Now imagine that you owned one of those houses. And every year you saw the cliff edge coming a little bit closer. Well, there would come a point at which you would you would move. It wouldn't matter how much it was going to cost you. You would move. You wouldn't live in that house. But think of what would happen for those couple of years before you were going to move. You wouldn't be putting in planning permission for a conservatory, would you? You wouldn't be saying, do you know what? I'm going to do this somewhere. I'm going to remodel the garden. In fact, I think we'll, we'll decorate all the bedrooms. Because you knew that that, that, that house is, is going over the edge. It's not going to be here soon. so much of what happens to capture our attention is is right on the edge of the crumbling cliff of this world. And so Paul is saying, this world in its present form is passing away, so, so don't pour yourself into it. Rather, be prepared for the Lord's return and be about His work as we wait for His coming. The Lord is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.